We started this series two weeks ago looking at the guardrails of decision-making through the providential will of God, the moral will of God, and then there's the personal will of God. And then last week we said that one of the primary tools that God uses to speak to us is through the counsel of other maturing believers in our lives. And the only reason we wouldn't really seek that kind of counsel is because of our own insecurities and pride. And so this morning, I, I wanna look at another primary tool that God uses to guide and direct our lives, which is the Bible, the Word of God. And see, one of the problems for a lot of people is that they don't even read the Bible, and so they have no idea what God says. And so we naturally will miss out on one of the primary ways that God speaks. You know, the other problem is that people over the years have either totally misused or misapplied the Bible to say what they wanted it to say, and so unfortunately it's misled a lot of people. And so here's the question we've got to ask. How do you hear God speak to you through his word so that you can determine, discern, and then understand his will? See, I want, you to, I want you to listen to what King David says about God's word, his laws directing him. In Psalm 119, it says, your statues or your laws are my delight. They are my counselors. In the New Living Translation, it says, it gives me wise advice. In other words, Dave's saying, when I need wise counsel, I go to God in his word, which is interesting because if you look at the first five books, the Torah, the law of Moses, which is what David had, how many of us actually go to those first five books? But it gave David comfort, it gave him strength. So how do we find counsel and direction from God's word? Well, one way you could do that is to look for people in the Bible that you feel like you have parallel situations that are going on just like you. I'm in this situation, so maybe somebody in the Bible went through this too, and I'll just do what they did. You know, maybe you're going through some difficulty, you feel betrayed, so you go to the, so you go and look at the story of Joseph. See, this is somewhat helpful, but honestly, not really, because culture and circumstances are different. Chances are that God is not gonna lead you to build a big boat and have two of every animal, of course, unless you're Evan Almighty. Or he's not gonna have you march around a city seven times and then blow a trumpet and see it tumble down. See, these stories are great and amazing and obviously they teach us a lot about God and there's plenty of application in these stories, but it's not the best way to use scripture in order to understand God's will. I mean, you could also look for all the do's and don'ts of scripture and try to uphold them, which is partially good but that often will lead us to a religious attitude, which is what Jesus doesn't want for us and why he rebuked the Pharisees. So again, what do we do? So for the rest of our time today, I want us to look at how, when we spend time in God's word, it will help us to get to know him. And by doing that, we will get to know his will. If you have your Bible, go ahead and turn with me to Isaiah chapter 55. And as you're thinking about maybe the options you're facing or the decisions that you're needing to make, I want you to look at these verses as a grid for you. Isaiah 55 verse 8 says, for my thoughts are not your thoughts. And God's saying, we don't think alike. He says, neither are your ways my ways. In other words, the way you often do something is not the way I'd do it. The way that you would normally respond is not the way 
I would respond, the way that maybe you think or handle your finances or your relationships or conflict. He's saying what might seem logical or practical or intuitive to you might not be my way declares the Lord. Verse 9, and as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. So God is saying, before you start making decisions and before you entertain asking me what my will is, you just need to know up front, we don't think alike and we don't act alike. And here's the implication to all this. In making decisions, what is naturally intuitive to you may actually lead you astray. Do you hear that? What is actually naturally intuitive to you might lead you astray. And if you have a tendency to rely on your logic and reason, you need to know from God's perspective. It may seem illogical. And if you're trying to make a decision about a relationship and your tendency is to just follow your heart, that might not be the direction that God wants you to go at all. So if I can't always trust my heart and I can't trust my logic and my reason or my intuition, then the question is, what do I do? So I want to give you a different perspective on making decisions. When we have to make a decision, there are three things that usually come to bear on that decision. There's the context, in other words, the context in which you're making the decision. There's the your perspective, and then there's the outcome. Those are those three things. And when it comes to decision-making, it's all about context, perspective, and outcomes. Every time we make a decision, we have some sort of context, which is usually limited to what we know and what we've experienced. So right off the bat, there's a limitation. In terms of perspective, when we are trying to make a decision, our perspective is always being impacted by our desires as well as our fears. Our desires, what we want, and our fears, I don't know what's gonna happen, impact every decision we make. And then in terms of outcomes, most of the time it's, it's a guess. I think if I do this, this will happen, and if I do that, that will happen, but I'm not 100% certain. Let me ask you, what if our context was as big as all human experience? And what if we had perspective that started in eternity past and went all the way through this life right into eternity future? And what if we had the opportunity to peer into the mind that knew the outcomes of every one of those options and knew the outcome of every decision we would make? See, you would have the advantage of those three things. It would be hard to make a bad decision, wouldn't it? I mean, just think about it. The Bible is God's words written down by human authors. We know from Scripture that He has given us His Spirit. We know from Scripture that He, as, as believers, we have been given the mind of Christ. Look what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 2. He says, this is what we speak, not in words, taught to us by human not uh, excuse me taught to us by human wisdom but in words taught by the spirit expressing spiritual truths and spiritual words the man without the spirit the unbeliever does not accept the things that come from the spirit of god for they are foolishness to him and he cannot understand them because they are spiritually discerned the ma the spiritual man makes judgments about all things but he himself is not subject to any man's judgment for who has known 
the mind of the Lord that he may instruct him, but we have the mind of Christ. See, God has given us everything we need and more to know and do his will. And what God has done is he's invited us to look into his word and become so familiar with his thoughts and his ways that over time, his thoughts become our thoughts and his ways then become our ways. And in doing so, we will learn to understand him and his will. Remember when you were young and you figured out your parents, somebody asked you if you wanted to go do something, you said, I can't. And they say, well, why not? You didn't even have to ask. You're like, because I know what they're gonna say. Well, how do you know? I just do, right? You were able to figure out their thinking and their ways because you knew them. And the same is true with my wife. There are just certain things I don't even have to ask because I know what she's gonna say. And you say, well, how? Because I've spent so much time with her and have gotten to know her and her ways. And see, God, our heavenly Father, has invited us to truly get to know him. He doesn't want you, he doesn't want to be a total mystery to us where where you play these ridiculous games like okay the next thing that pops into my mind okay god that's going to be your will and god's going really? Like that's how you think this relationship works? This isn't a scavenger hunt. He doesn't want us driving down the road thinking okay well that that red letter on that sign and the first letter is, you know, is my name and those two numbers are in her phone number, so obviously God must want me to call her. And God's going, are you kidding me? God's saying, I'm God. I created communication and I'm the greatest communicator in the universe. And I'm giving you a heads up. Look into my word which tells you my thoughts, which gives you and tells you my heart. And, and if you do, you will become more familiar with me and my ways and then be able to discern my will. Listen to what Romans 12, 2 says. It says, do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And then you will be able, look at this, to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing and perfect will. See, that little phrase, test and approve, is really one Greek word. It means to sort out or to discern. So the Apostle Paul is saying, if you will begin to renew your mind, get rid of the lies, replace them with truth, then you will be able to comb through your options and discern what aligns with what God's good, pleasing, and perfect will is. So if you're sitting down with your Bible and you're asking the Lord for guidance and wisdom, you say, Lord, this is what makes sense to me. And this is what I think you're asking of me. But I know my ways are not yours and my thoughts are not your thoughts. Is there something I'm not seeing? Lord, please speak through your word. I remember petitioning the Lord years ago when I was wrestling with whether or not God was calling me to be a senior pastor. And that morning, I just so happened to be going through 1 Timothy 4, and God spoke through his word so clearly. In there, it says, do not let anyone look down on your youth. And that morning, I had prayed specifically that God would give me insight of what he wanted from me. It's one of the reasons why we strongly encourage you to take advantage of this book, The Divine Mentor, because it's, it'll give you a rhythm, if you will, for your devotional time. And so this morning, for the rest of our time that we have, I really want to make this as practical as I can. 
so that you will read your Bible with purpose and clarity. And one of the ways to do this is to look for principles. I'm not sure if you know what a principle is. You, you might, but let me just make it clear. A principle is an unchangeable truth. It is the way that God operates. A principle is not impacted by time or culture. It's just true. See, the difference between principles and commands is that a command says, do this or don't do this. A principle says, let me go ahead and tell you what's going to happen if you do or you don't do that. So you can disobey a command. You can't disobey a principle because principles are in effect at all times. It's like the law of gravity. It's always in effect. Whether you know about it, whether you believe in it or not, it's just there. It works. It's going to happen. So let me give you a few so you have an idea of what I'm talking about as you look through Scripture and you look at for some stated principles. For instance, reap what you sow. That's a stated principle. 28 different times you'll see this principle, that, at least that I found. 2 Corinthians 9 says, Remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows generously will also reap generously. See, you don't even have to be a Christian to know this principle. And guess who put this principle in place? God did. It's a stated principle. This, another one would be your friends, you've heard me say this, your friends will determine the direction and the quality of your life. It's just a principle. Proverbs 13 says, He who walks with the wise grows wise, but a companion of fools suffers harm. It's just a principle. The people that you spend the majority of your time with is going, are going to impact you. And if you want to change your life, you're going to have to change this, who you spend the majority of your time with. Another one is Proverbs 22.6. Train a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he will not turn from it. See, the way you train your children will impact the way they are when they're adults. If you set the anchor deep when they're young, it's going to come back later on. See, sometimes principles are not always stated, they're just implied. For instance, unconditional love, it's an implied principle. There are commands in Scripture to love one another, but there is no statement in the Bible that says the principle of unconditional love, but it's definitely implied. And we'd see numerous examples throughout Scripture, and we see this specifically through Jesus. You know, I know over the years, I've had a lot of people talk to me about their prodigal children and all the problems from their choices that they've made. And they ask, they're like, what do we do? And the bottom line question that I'll often ask is, do you want their bodies to come back or their hearts to come back? Do you want their bodies to come home or do you want their hearts to come home? And of course they're going, well, of course we want their hearts. We want both, right? But we, we definitely don't just don't want their body. We want their hearts to come home. Well, then you need to unconditionally love them. And then often it's the question of, well, how? What does that look like? Because we don't agree with their choices, and it doesn't mean you agree with them or just give them what they want because that's not love, that's enablement. See, acceptance doesn't always mean agreement. I can accept and love you, but not be in agreement with you or your decisions. See, we're called to unconditionally love one another. It's just an implied principle. 
There's another implied principle of purity. Again, not something that's stated, but definitely implied. We see this from 1 Thessalonians 4, which actually starts off by saying, for this is God's will. And that is purity now leads to intimacy later. See, if you're pure on the front end of your dating life, you'll have greater capacity for intimacy later on. But if you're impure on the front end of your dating life, you're going to suffer in areas of intimacy. It's just a principle. You don't have to believe it, but it is that way because that's the way that God designed it. And so sometimes these principles are stated, sometimes they're implied, and then sometimes they're illustrated through narrative. They're called narrative principles. For instance, Jesus illustrated this principle in Matthew 8. And here's the principle. To gain authority, you have to be under authority. In other words, if you want to maintain authority from God, you're going to have to be under authority. Yet many of us want to run from being under authority. Remember a number of years ago when I was significantly hurt at a church by a group of elders and most of the people thought when I uh, resigned and left the church that I, I would go to another church that didn't have elders because of all the hurt. And I told them, hey, listen, just because I was hurt doesn't give me permission to ignore the biblical governance for the church. The healthiest thing for me and the church is to be under authority. You see, we, we see another principle that's illustrated in the Garden of Eden in Genesis 3, and it's the principle, of, again, of freedom. The, the principle goes like this. Maximum freedom is found under God's authority. Maximum freedom is found under God's authority. If you want the maximum freedom that you can experience in this life, then you need to stay under God's authority. Because but the problem is we bought into this lie that being under God's authority is so restrictive because God is all about rules and restrictions. But what we actually see in scripture is that when God says no to something, it's because he's saying yes to something much better. Maximum freedom is found under God's authority. The moment you step outside of God's authority is the moment you begin to really, truly lose freedom. Romans 13 says, everyone must submit himself to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except that which God has established. The authorities that exist have been established by God. So consequently, he who rebels against the authority, which includes your parents, by the way, is rebelling against what God has instituted, and those who do so will bring judgment on themselves. See, my intuition or my experience or my feelings say that if I want freedom, then I need to get out from under authority. And God says, that's because your ways are not my ways and your thoughts are not my thoughts. See, the Bible is full of principles. And the more familiar you become with the principles of God's word, the easier it is to discern and figure out the will of God. So for instance, I don't need to pray about whether or not I should serve. Jesus came to serve and not be served. It's just a matter of figuring out where. I don't need to pray about being in biblical community. We were created to live and exist in community. I don't need to pray whether or not I should tithe or not because I'm a steward of all God's stuff. 
But see, what I do need to pray about is, God, where do you want me to serve? God, which night of the week can I go to small group? Or God, do you want me to give 10%? Do you want me to give more? See, I already know what God wants. See, when we spend time with the Lord and he renews our minds and he aligns our thoughts with his thoughts and our ways with his ways, then the decisions we need to make become so much clearer. I know I've I've shared this story with you before in 1 Samuel 24, but I think it drives home what we're talking about today. And it's a story I love. King Saul is chasing David through the desert in order to kill him because he heard that God had anointed David to be the next king of Israel instead of his son, Jonathan. And so David and his men are in the desert of En Gedi and Saul is chasing them with 3,000 of his soldiers. And so David decides to hide in one of those caves so that Saul and his soldiers would hopefully pass through and then they could go the opposite direction and, and escape. What just so happens is they are hiding in the cave and Saul stops and all of a sudden has to go to the bathroom. And as you can imagine, when the king has to go to the bathroom, everybody has to stop. And so Saul decides he'll go to the bathroom in one of these caves. Now, out of all the caves, which one do you think he chose? He didn't know, but he chose the one that David was in. David and his men are in the back of the cave and their eyes now have easily adjusted to the darkness. Meanwhile, Saul walks in, has no clue David and his men are in there. He takes off his robe to go to the bathroom, which, as you know, puts you in probably one of the most vulnerable positions and very easy to kill. And David's men are thinking what you would be thinking, what I would be thinking. This has to be God's will. God delivered him into our hands. I mean, David, come on. How could God make it any clearer? Just think about it. What are the odds we are up here in these caves? What are the odds that Saul just so happened to have to go to the bathroom right now? And what are the odds he just so happened to choose out of all the caves? He chose this one. I mean, come on, David, it's so obvious that God has lined up all these circumstances to show you his will. I just want you to think with me because this is where we live, right? His emotions said, kill Saul. The circumstances said, kill Saul. The people around him were saying, kill Saul. But David was a man who also looked to God's word for his counsel. David knew there was a principle and the principle was this. And this is just my way of saying it. And then I'll quote what he actually says. You dare not replace what God has put in place. See, what David said was, I will not lift my hand against God's anointed. I dare not kill whom God has chosen as king. But your circumstances are screaming, kill Saul. You told me to seek out wise counsel and my counselors are telling me to kill the king. Guess why? Because if David is killed, so will they. They'll be killed. How could you possibly dispute this being God's will except for this one thing? It's not God's way. See, we've got to let the king pass. God put Saul in place. God will replace him. That's the power of listening to the principles of God's word. Do you know why having these principles from scripture are so important? Because it helps us to see through the fog of emotion, the fog of bad counsel, the fog of tough circumstances, the fog of our past experiences, and the fog of our fears and insecurities in order to see clearly his will and his ways. See, every day of our lives, we're making decisions that intersect with the principles of God. 
and the wisest thing that we can do in terms of discerning and understanding God's will is to immerse ourselves in the scriptures. And again, it's one of the reasons why I wanna encourage you, please get this book, The Divine Mentor. I talk about it in my devotions on Facebook and Instagram. Don't rely on just listening to me. You spend time with God yourself. It'll give you a method of scripture, observation, application, and prayer. So my prayer for each of us, whether you're a leader in this church or if you're a brand new Christian, is that when you open up God's Word, you would begin by praying, God, I want to see as you see. I want your ways to become my ways. I want your thoughts to become my thoughts. God, I want to know you so well that knowing your will becomes crystal clear. Not my will, but yours. Let's pray. God, thank you again just for giving us your word. Not to just get something, but to get to know you. Lord, that that would be the pursuit of our heart, that we want to know you, not just get from you. Lord, that we would pursue you, that we would carve time out in our schedules, that we would prioritize spending time with you to allow you to impress on our hearts who you are. And the more time that we spend with you, the more we better understand you, the more that we're going to be able to make wiser decisions, more decisions that are going to align with your will, your way, your thoughts, because we'll know you. God, would you please speak loud and clear? Lord, we've got all kinds of decisions to make, decisions about finances, decisions in our marriages, decisions with our kids, with school, all the stuff going on with COVID. Lord, we've got, uh, when do we reopen as a church? There, there's numerous, numerous, numerous decisions. And Lord, we, we want you to speak loud and clear because at the end of the day, we want to be obedient and we wanna be under your authority. And so we submit to your word, which means we've also gotta spend time in your word. So God, I thank you for your word. I thank you that you do speak, that you're not silent. And God, I pray that you would prepare our hearts and our minds to receive what it is you wanna say, even when we don't like hearing it and when it's really, really hard to hear. And Lord, then would you please give us the courage and the strength to respond with obedience. God, we love you. We thank you so much. In Jesus' name, amen.